Hi everyone, welcome back to Ballistic Strength Radio. This is episode 9 and I'm about one week late on getting this out uh, when I meant to, but I did some traveling back to my hometown in London, Ontario uh, the last week of May and when I returned, my girlfriend and I took possession of our first home that we've purchased here in Nanaimo, BC. So needless to say, it's been a busy schedule for me, uh, lots of things on the go. Just want to give a public congratulations to a couple of clients of mine, uh, Candace and Matt, on uh, winning their categories at the MPAA BC Classic Bodybuilding Competition at the Gateway Theatre in Richmond, BC on May 3rd. They took only uh, four months to, to uh, prepare and uh, dropped about 10 pounds each to get stage ready. Uh, Matt won first place in the men's open physique division and Candice won first place in the women's novice figure division as well as took uh, second in the women's open figure division. So congrats to those two and they are currently back on the warpath to getting as jacked as possible. Uh, If you want some uh, tips and daily workout motivation, please check out Candice's Facebook page. It's Candice Helene. Uh, Freaky Fit Fitness, and that's F-R-E-A-K-I-E-F-I-T-T Fitness. So on this episode, I invited uh, Thierry Sanchez of Denmark and author of the 2009 document Gear Voice Sport and Athlete Preparation to discuss his knowledge of kettlebell sport and his perspective on its development in Europe, as well as some competition preparation tips. So just sit tight and enjoy the show. Uh, I just want to, first of all, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, I'm sure that I have uh, many listeners who'd be interested interested to hear what you have to say about uh, kettlebell sport lifting. Great, thank you. Well, I'm also very pleased that you uh, you know you you asked me about this. It's also uh, it's nice. <laughs> so I have to thank you as well. And uh, so the listeners, I would like to say it's the first time I do a podcast, so I'll probably say some silly things. That's okay. It's been a learning experience for me, and uh, I do find that you know every every episode tends to get a little bit better, and I tend to get a little bit better at speaking. And and uh, so, um, you know, it'd be great to have you back on as a, as you know a recurring guest, and then you could get more practice. Sure, that'd be a, that's something we can definitely organize. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so let me just make sure that I've got. I've always guessed the pronunciation of your name. Could you just um, say it for the for the listeners so they know exactly how to pronounce your name? Yeah, well, the French way is Thierry. Uh, but now, like, uh, when I was 18, I moved to uh, to Australia, and there the people were calling me Theory. And uh, I said, oh, no, 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 this is, this is, this is totally wrong, you know? So uh, most people usually call me Terry. Like, English-speaking people call me Terry. But Thierry, Terry... Same, same. Okay. Well, I think I'll stick with Terry because I think if I try to manage the French version, I'm going to mess it up and it'll come out sounding terrible. Um, So, Terry, you have uh, your own website called terrysanchez.com. Now, I I subscribed to your blog uh, a long time ago, and I don't seem to recall you having this website up at the time. Is this a new development? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the old the old website was called Kettlebell Fitness uh, de, uh, Denmark, DK, um, and I had the blog on WordPress by the same name. And then uh, last year, uh, the end of towards the end of last year, then I moved everything to this new website, uh, terrasensions.com, just to 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 reach a more international market. Because I know some people, you know, they see the the dot DK and they think, oh, what what language does that guy speak? Uh, or whatever. Uh, so um, yeah, and I also gave me the chance to remove a lot of um, old posts I wasn't happy about, or maybe some stuff that had changed my mind. Uh, meanwhile, and a lot of crap that was in the middle as well. So, um, so that's what happened. Well, it looks really good right now. I mean, it's I really like the setup, and uh, it looks really easy to navigate. And well, uh, yeah, it's looking good. <laughs> Thank you. Why don't you give us an idea of what you're doing on the website right now. What sort of things are, are now that you have the new website, yep. what sort of things are you trying to instigate? I see you've got some workshops and online training and you provide that 
um, you know, through your website. Can you give us uh, maybe a quick summation of, uh, of the things that you offer on your website? Yeah, well, um, the, uh, the online training, and uh, that's, that's a bit the broad term because I have people that, uh, that come to me, for example, the uh, strong first test, you know, to train, how to train for it. Most of the people I have, though, uh, they, they will train towards the GS uh, kettlebell sport competition. I also have people that just train at home with kettlebells and they want, you know, an idea to set up a program. So fitness uh, stuff like that. Um, I also have trained people that, that, that train for kettlebell marathons and uh, the pentathlon as well. So I've got a wide kind of uh, range of, uh, yeah, of, of clientele. Uh, apart from that, I do, uh, I do workshops here in Denmark. Um, I have my own workshops and of course uh, I give the offers to, uh, for CrossFit centers uh, I also, or any anybody that wants to set up a course, you know, they they call me and we find out a deal and I come to them. Like I have, I have some deal with the um, with the special forces, the uh, the elite soldier, uh, soldiers in in Denmark. Um, and apart from that, I have, I have a few ebooks that I sell, and um, I'm trying to work on a few new products. But you know, that's stuff that takes a long time, so uh, it's very slow. Yeah, it's it's just it's another one of those commitments that you have to stack on top of your daily stuff, right? Yeah, and you know sometimes we're inspired to write, and it's the same with the blog. You know, now I try to um, I try to publish at least one article a month, but sometimes too, it really depends. You know how much free time you get, and also want to enjoy life on the side. Yeah, I I started out writing blogs uh, a while back, and. Um, and sometimes I just I want to put so much effort into it that it makes it such a chore to actually do when really uh, some of the most successful blogs, I mean, y- you know, you'll have some good, uh, you know, kind of thorough blog posts every now and then. But you just, you know, you got to keep throwing people a, a little bit here and there just to keep them interested. And, and that's just as important as getting those really well thought out uh, blog posts out. Yep. Um, could you give us... Uh, some information about your athletic background, Terry. Uh, I know that you've, you know, lifted kettlebells for some time now. Are you still competing? Um, I kind of stopped, but uh, now this this year I've made up my mind to uh, to return to the platform. But it's going to be on the on the half marathon and and marathon, so thirty minutes and sixty minutes with a, a single kettlebell and multi switch. So not the traditional kettlebell sport. And yeah. and. Is the are the marathon championships are they something that have, that have been instituted for some time or is this a bit of no, a new development or is this some, a little bit of both? It's uh, well, the, the actual world championship is going to happen for the first time this year in Minsk, so it's totally new because uh, a couple of years ago, or actually just a little a year uh, with with some other people, um, a French guy called Stefan uh, Dogman. Uh, we got also a, a guy from Belarus called Sergei Matskevich. Um, we decided to, to actually formalize the, the kettlebell marathon discipline, you know, with some strict rules uh, or defined rules, and uh, and to start. And the uh, last year they had the European Championships. This year it's the World Championships. So we're trying to really promote this uh, this aspect because it's also uh, I mean it's, you know some people some of the traditionalist people kind of laugh at it. But if you look back at the history of kettlebell sport, this aspect of lifting uh, kettlebells for, uh, you know, to, to set kind of records, 12 hours, 24 hours, that's an ancient tradition as well. Uh, so that's where kettlebell lifting, repetition lifting started from until they formalized it into, uh, you know, into Gilroy sport. Um, and then at the end of the, of the 80s, then they set the time limit to 10 minutes because it was just too boring to watch. You know, people would, <laughs> you know, do like a huge amount of repetitions. Um, they would just stay in the rack and do six reps a minute. So you would have like sets, you know, jerk sets uh, taking 40 minutes. Um, so they, they sort of like con- made stricter rules to, uh, to, to make it towards a shorter discipline. So it would be more friendly for the, for, the, for the public but also for the judges. Yeah. Do you think that was a good decision? Do you think that it's uh, a bit more inclusive and a bit more um, practical to have that ten-minute time cap? Or uh, I yeah. know it's I know it's nice to have both, but 
just in terms of the most widely used format, do you think that that was the way to go? Yeah, I think I think it's it's a good idea because you know when um, you're got also got to think that the Russians have had like many years, you know, since the since late forties where it's been like an established kind of sport, you know, so they have many years to uh, to uh, to attract more athletes uh, and bring the level up. So then you can you can say okay, this, this is how we do it because then we only pick the best. The other guys, well, they just got to work up to the level. Uh, to come to the competition, uh, with the marathons a bit more open. You can say, well, you know, if you've got a, if you've got an okay technique and you've got strength, uh, endurance, and a lot of mental uh, mental will, then you can be uh, in it because it doesn't require the same kind of uh, specific endurance that the the Gilroy sport requires. Mm-hmm. Those are good points. Um, Terry, what uh, what sort of ranks and records do you hold? Uh, it's not that high. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen a, you swung the 24, so you're at least that good. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I compete, like, uh, as a veteran. It's when I first started to compete, when I was, uh, well, actually, I started, the first competition was in 2009. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I've been to world championships now three times to compete. That's been as a veteran, so I've got a... I've got a CMS uh, in biathlon. Uh, I did 77 jerks with 224, and that's at a body weight around 66 to 69 kilo. Yeah, that, you're you're. That's what I've noticed about you. You're a fairly light, light and lean guy, and and those are. It's that's difficult to 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 lift those weights. No, actually, no, because you know, once you got the strength to lift them for 20 reps, then basically. You've got the capacity to, to lift them for more reps. Once you've got the strength for 20 reps, 15, 20 reps, then you can say you're good to go to lift them for 50 or 70. Then it's just a matter of specific training. Uh, with the snatch, I've done in competition, uh, I've done 148. Uh, in training, I've done 160. And the long cycle, uh, the best in competition has been the 66 uh, reps. Um, so that's that's where I, uh, I've been yeah, up to yeah 2013. And ha- has there been much drive for you to kind of push for you know using the 28s and the 32s in competition? No, because I mean, you know, I've lifted 28s um, in training mm-hmm. to assist for the for the 24, like especially. Uh, and the only time I really really trained hard was when I went to the first VM. Where I took the whole year in preparation uh, for it, so I had no, about nine months uh, to 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 train for it. You know, I've, I've, I've trained a lot on and off, which is I can say one of the reasons why the results are not that high because I never follow through. I sort of like trained. I've trained for this competition, and then I took a year break from from training kettlebell sports. Then I, I started again, and I trained again maybe four to six months, and I go to a competition. So it takes me a lot of time to get back into the groove and to reach basically a level where I was before and then maybe increase it a little bit. Um, you know, if, so that's an advice. If you plan to be in, in this sport and to set some, some high results, you have to stick to it uh, and not, to, not take too long breaks uh, because then you, know, you have to, to, to train up to it again. Yeah. But that's, that's been my approach. I mean, I never... You know, I've never been really a competitive person. Um, this was the first time I decided, okay, I'm going to try to actually do something and stick to it. And that was 2010. And after that, I'm not going to VM again. That was it. I wanted to experience once uh, to know for myself. So then I could also use that to train clients. Um, and then 2012, uh, I actually started the year with the powerlifting. I trained a six-month for power row powerlifting competition, and straight after that, I thought ah, maybe I should just go to one more competition in, in, uh, in Kelbel, and I had four months to train for it. Uh, so it's, it's pretty been pretty much the, the pattern uh, that I follow. You know, short training, four six months or whatever, and then a long break. How did you find um, your kettlebell performance following the period of uh, powerlifting? Did you find that there was some carryover? Or did you find that it actually detracted from your kettlebell uh, I would, numbers? I wouldn't say neither. I mean, 
Not a noticeable difference. Not a noticeable difference. I mean, I started, you know, after the powerlifting competition, uh, sort of like uh, I said, okay, I was going to train for snatch, only snatch. Uh, so I picked up the 16 kilo, and first off, I did two, I did 100 reps on each arm uh, after no training, kettlebells for six months, six to eight months. Uh, so I had a good base already, you know, and that probably came from the strength that that uh, that I developed during the the, the training for powerlifting. Uh, and then within four month within four months training, then I did 148 in snatch with the 24, following basically the uh, the plate of the ebook that I, I've got for sale on my website. Uh, so very simple, uh, very simple, straightforward, a little bit more you know, each, each session and paying attention to recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners who might not know, you do have a document called uh, the Gear, uh, Gear Voice Sport and Preparation. Yep. And you have a few uh, interviews at the end of the document. Um, yes. uh, one of the questions you ask is, you know, how long does it take to reach uh, Master of Sport? And... Um, and the answer was, you know, one to two years, depending. Now, we, we, we brought up the, the factor of, you know, your training volume and consistency is going to uh, obviously play a big role. What, what's practical? What's realistic? How can you get to, uh, like, master of sport numbers in one to two years? What sort of consistency is that going to take? Is this just um, restricted to those athletes who, you know, do it every day? And um, and we're kind of brought up in that in that atmosphere of, of uh, heavy kettlebell lifting. Yeah, it's sad to say. I mean, I think that was uh, one of the one of the Russian uh, athletes that, that that said that they gave that answer one to two. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, you got to take into account the, the background of each athlete. Uh, now, most of the people I deal with and myself. Started late. I mean, I never did any weight training until I was 38, basically. Shame uh, on you. <laughs> you know, I was a ski bum for most of the. Uh, <laughs> oh, of the well, that's all right. Still, still, you know, at, falling within that athletic umbrella. Yeah, yeah, but no, no such thing as strength training. I mean, I didn't know what a deadlift was or squats or anything like that. I mean, I remember the first time before I went to school to, to study strength training to become uh, educated in it. You know, I thought, well, I should maybe just go to a gym, just to uh, like an Olympic weightlifting gym, just to learn a bit about it before I go to school. So I'm not fully green, you know, because I'd read some books, a lot of books, and studied a lot of materials, but I still didn't know much. And I remember, you know, so I went there to learn the basics and uh, the clean and, and jerk and snatch with a barbell. And um, they were, uh, so it was uh, Olympic weightlifting and also powerlifting. And, to, you know, there was a guy there, you know, wearing uh, a bench, uh, bench suit. I didn't know what it was. I thought the guy was like a bit, you know, uh, mongoloid. I wasn't sure. I thought, <laughs> you know, you're walking with your arms in front of you when you got that, that bench shirt on, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't know what those things were, you know. Um, I was totally new. Um, so, yeah, strength training, the only thing that I'd done was some uh, body weight training to, to, uh, to help with the... Uh, uh, with the skiing, because I was doing uh, a lot of different styles. I was doing the downhill telemark skiing, and I was also doing the, the cross-country, you know, and the, the classic style and the, and the skating style. Mm-hmm. And just doing extra body weight training, well, I just realized that then I was flying up the hills compared to the other people, just by doing some extra chin-ups, uh, all sorts of chin-ups and, uh, and push-ups and, and stuff like that. Um, so... It's yeah. it's it's funny how how um, we'll we'll comment on push-ups and chin-ups, uh, you know, in passing, almost as if you know it's not a big deal. But it's it's inter- interesting because for some people, the body weight stuff can sometimes be the hardest. Whether it's because you know they're a late bloomer and and they don't have a lot of body awareness, or maybe they've gotten a bit overweight or or something like that. And um, and I uh, it was uh, Mark yes. R- Mark Ripito. Yeah, he, at least I think it was him. I I, I believe he he, he, uh, brought up uh, an anecdote about some uh, gymnastic lifters who had never lifted barbells before and and who, you know, he put them in front of a barbell and and they were lifting, you know, 
close to elite numbers, which was which is pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, just that that neuromuscular training becomes so well developed when you do all that body weight training. It has such great carryover into, I imagine, uh, a wider breadth of sports than, say, just uh, focusing on something like barbell training. Yeah, probably. I mean, there's you know, there's uh, different different ways to get strong. You know, uh, people like to 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 say it's either black or white, but there's just so many ways. I mean, if you look through history as well, you know, people were strong. <laughs> I don't know what they did, you know, but uh, they surely didn't do barbell uh, squats, um, lifted rocks, you know, pushed and, and dragged stuff. You can, you can get strong that way. And people, uh, you know, you can have a temperament that you are more suited to one way of training than another and you can get better results out of one or the other but the reality is that across the world and through history people have gotten strong with different methods um, so everything can work mm-hmm. um, could you uh, maybe give us a little bit of info on what the kettlebell sport climate is like in in Denmark and the European Union and and what that dynamic is like I know that it can get quite competitive between um, nations. Being a Canadian myself, um, in in July we're having our, our nationals coming up, and and that's going to be a qualifier to head over to Dublin. Um, yep. So a lot of people from you know fr- from where I live are going to be uh, competing internationally for the first time, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, I, you know that's a that's a pretty big deal. What um, so I mean, what's it like for you living in? In Denmark and uh, and having competed uh, internationally, yeah. Well, um, now let's. I can tell you a bit about Denmark. We uh, we created um, uh, a kettlebell sport organization that was at the end of 2012. Hopefully, I'm not saying anything stupid. Yeah, uh, we we uh, sort of like uh, set up the first uh, national competition in Denmark in 2012, and uh, that was in. October, November, just about there. And at the end of the year, so in December, I said, you know, talk with a few people and say, how about we create our own uh, federation? Now, the problem with the federation, there's many legal requirements. So we just started with a uh, free, uh, what do you call it, volunteer organization, basically. Um, so we uh, sort of like have common rules and ideas for the development of sport in Denmark. Now, today we are about 100 members, roughly. Out of those 100 people, maybe only 30 to 40 compete in the sport itself. You know, we have a lot of people that are interested in it, but they don't compete. Out of the 40 that compete at the national level, then there's maybe only about 10 that are interested in going overseas to compete um, you know, in the world championships or European championships and, and, and stuff like that. So it's it's relatively new. You know, I was the first uh, to go to to the world championships in 2010. Uh, I took a lady with me there, uh, actually two girls with me in 2010. In 2012, I took uh, one of the same ladies and another guy with me. Um, in 2013, we went to London uh, for the uh, British Open, and there was about six or seven of us. Um, in 2014, we went to the IGSF uh, Long Cycle World Championships. Yeah, that was in Lyon. We were about 10. And that same year, there was the IUKL uh, World Championships in Hamburg, and there was, again, there was about eight, eight or so uh, so I know that this year for Dublin there there are a few people that are interested, but I'm not sure we'll have new lifters out of that group of people who've been there already. You know, the the one that been there competing internationally that that tried it, they, they, wow, this is great. You know, it's it's a bit harder to to get other people interested to compete outside of Denmark. You know, you can also think like a lot of the, in De- Denmark, the European uh, capital for CrossFit. You know. Everybody does CrossFit in Denmark. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, all the big towns, all the big cities, you know, it's CrossFit, CrossFit, CrossFit. We have about six clubs, and we're basically in the uh, the small uh, small towns. Um, and a lot of the people, uh, you know, that come to Kelbell Sport, 
Well, they're not the youngest people. We have some a uh, young lifter, uh, 11 years old, you know, that he basically follows his dad. Um, so, um, but there's no, uh, yeah, we've got a few lifters young, you know, relatively young, uh, under 25. But I would say the majority, we are, we are veterans. Um, so, yeah, now I forgot what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> uh, cr- CrossFit in Denmark. Yeah, CrossFit in Denmark. Yeah, so um, I think that, you know, the younger people uh, are more attracted to CrossFit because there's that power kind of elements, you know, strength, power, you want to do badass things. And, and, and lots of variety too, right? They're big on variety. Exactly, you know. And, um, yeah, so they're not really attracted to, to kettlebell sport as such, uh, which is one of, one of the reasons why I thought, you know, doing the, uh, the half marathon uh, and marathon disciplines might be a way for people to, to cross over. Uh, because they are, you know, some of the CrossFit athletes. I mean, they are they're extremely fit and strong, and they, they would do really well if they could uh, have the focus to um, to learn the technique uh, properly and 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 do thirty minutes set, for example. They would do uh, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it w- it would add another uh, interesting element to their training regimen if the, if they if they give that a try. It's uh, yeah, I, I there's definitely some crossover. You do see some uh, CrossFitters that. Um, you know, dip their toe into uh, into kettlebell lifting, but yeah, strangely, uh, not a whole lot though. And and no, it and usually I- in my experience, there's been uh, older people, uh, again veterans. You know, they started or people in their late thirties. They start doing CrossFit, and then they uh, they are introduced to kettlebells, and then they think, oh wow, this is actually good and fun for me. You know, um, there's not so much pressure as well uh, compared to some of the words that they do with the barbells and then they sort of like come over to the kettlebell sport slowly uh, through that um, but the the young ones a bit harder to convert you know and it's it's fair enough I mean you know yeah I, I've noticed that as well definitely um, you know 30 plus 40 plus uh, athletes tend to gravitate towards kettlebell lifting do you think uh, maybe that's because um, I tend to think that there's a, a bit more, in terms of the competitive element, it's a bit more intrinsic with kettlebell lifting. You're, you know, you're kind of competing against yourself. Whereas uh, something like CrossFit, um, they're they're really big on, uh, you know, the larger scope of competition and and you know, comparing numbers and PRs and stuff like that. And it might be, you know, a little intimidating or overwhelming for people. Yeah, I definitely would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so are, are you know between nations does it does it get pretty competitive are all the teams kind of you know pretty amicable with, amicable with each other you know is is there do you have any maybe uh anecdotes to share no i mean pretty you know pretty much everybody I, that i've met at competition have been really friendly uh, really open and friendly and welcoming and uh, we don't have any uh no we don't have any hassles with the other countries now um we try, you know, we try to sort of like work a little bit together. We, in uh, in Scandinavia, we uh, one of my friends in Sweden, uh, Thomas, he uh, we had he had an idea of uh, setting up an, a Scandinavian Cup. So uh, it's just a long cycle event uh, between Finland, Norway, Sweden, and, and Denmark. Because you know, also there, there is a need for for. For the countries that are new to the sport to actually compete internally, mm-hmm. uh, instead of going to world championships, and of course you know who's going to win. You know, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> and and you, you know they also got their own uh, their own politics and 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 stuff like that that you know we get a bit pissed off with. Uh, so why can't we develop our the sport uh, our own way uh, and make rules that that are working for us? You know, Finland has done really well. They are they're probably one of the uh, in Scandinavia of the uh, the ones that that moved over to uh, or that developed kettlebell sport um, uh, the longest time. Um, so they took elements for for example for their rules and, and judging and stuff like that. They took elements from the UKL, but they also said, well, this doesn't make sense to us. We can just do it like that. And I think it's good, you know, from that point of sport. Now, of course, the big international organizations are going to say, "Well, you know, that's that's not very good for the sport, uh, for the for the worldwide markets." But 
I think, you know, within each country, as long as you're aware and conscious that if you're going to go to VM, there are special rules, you can still make exceptions because it's the same that's happened in Russia. You know, like I said, they, they changed the rules in uh, at the end of the, the 80s to make 10-minute sets. They also, uh, in the early days, you could do swings, you know, to rest instead of resting in the rack and the overhead position only. You could also do small swings uh, right until the end of the uh, of 90s. You could do small swings. Um, you could, uh, in the early days, you could also do half snatch. So all those rules that, that gave them the time to raise the level, to attract athletes and increase the level to be at where they are now, and then now they can say, well, this is, this is the rules because this is what we found out. People are already such, they don't need the, those, like you can say beginners, you can call them beginners rules, you know, just or entry level rules. But for, for the other countries, you know, why do we have to follow exactly what's, what's happening uh, internationally? We need also to attract more people. We need to, to raise the levels of our athletes and, uh, and stuff like that. And I think having your own rules for your country uh, and, and always aim year after year to increase the level and adapt the rules as, as it goes, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Are there any big campaigns to recruit more lifters uh, in, in Europe? I can't talk for Europe. I don't know. I only know what's what we're doing in Denmark. Right. Um, you know, I, I can see that right across Europe, the sport is getting more popular. Uh, and uh, I, I will say as well, you know, for the uh, for the marathon, the, the half marathons and marathons, it's also getting more and more popular. I mean, last year, um, I created this uh, half marathon uh, championship league. So we have three stages. Uh, with a big final here in Denmark, where we all meet for the for the last event, um, and last year there were six nations. This year, so and the final was in December last year, yeah. And uh, we started the, the the new league for this year, and we already seventeen nations. Uh, so that's wow. that's a big increase, you know. That's that's. Uh, that's kind of it. we were also blown away. Uh, and the first event is gonna is gonna end up in two weeks. So the the last nations that haven't competed yet, they've got this weekend and the, the next two weekends. Uh, today Australia's competing. Uh, next week there was going to be Poland and Sweden and and some other places, um, Spain as well. So it's a, it's kind of an exciting step as well to to have you know the traditional and the uh, the non-traditional events. Um, just to put this in perspective for listeners, in a typical um, kettlebell marathon, which uh, I now you guys do both thirty or sixty minute, right? Yep. Well, yeah, yeah. For the world championship, anyway. Yep. Now, in a thirty-minute period, a lifter might uh, make as many as about thirteen hundred lifts in the thirty-minute period. Does that sound correct? Uh, it depends. It <laughs> depends who's lifting and what weight. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, re- I'm referring to a blog post that you put up. I'm not looking directly at it right now, but I'm, yeah. I, I, I think it's for the 30-minute time period. So about 1,300 reps, give or take. Um, with the 24 kg, you do the math. That's, about, that's almost 70,000 pounds that's, of volume uh, lifted. Yeah, I, w- I would say I would say just to to to, uh, to <laughs> because that sounds excessive. I know, for example, that's uh, uh, Ole Ilica from uh, from Italy. Uh, in thirty minutes with a uh, twenty-four, he's done nine hundred jerks. Over that, you, I don't think you can get more than that uh, mm-hmm. for thirty minutes. You know, because it would be the snatch. The the end limit would be like twenty-five. Per, per minute, uh, the long cycle is about 14 per minute, so you, you wouldn't get much more than the, the 900. Okay, so we'll say, for the sake of argument, 1,000 reps. <laughs> Let's say, any, anyway, it's a lot of kilos you're lifting. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I'll usually restrict myself to about, if I'm doing like a conventional strength workout, to about 30,000 uh, pounds of volume lifted from workout to workout. And yeah, so even at a thousand reps with the twenty-four kg, we're looking at about fifty-three thousand uh, pounds of volume lifted. So, uh, you know, someone who's you know interested in trying out 
you know, a kettlebell marathon, I think they should probably be prepared for <laughs> what they're getting into. Um, yes. And I would say it's, uh, you have to be careful and work yourself into it slowly. You, one of the things you have to consider is that uh, the joints and ligaments, they're not very well uh, supplied you know, with blood vessels. So that means that compared to your muscles, they, are, they, are, they grow and they heal slower. So if you get an injury, it's going to take a long while. You know? And sometimes on the muscular level, you're ready to do a lot of reps and you're strong and stuff, but the rest of the structures, of the body structures, are not going to be able to handle the volume. So it's definitely not something that someone fairly new to lifting or kettlebell lifting in general should really want to jump right into. They should have that, that, that base. You should have a good base. Yeah, it's a good idea. Or if you're going to try it, you, know, you, you want to do it with a really lightweight and at an easy tempo. So you're not trying to, to make a, a Pierre attempt. You're just doing a sub-maximal kind of, uh, kind of attempt, you know, just to see, oh, can I, can I stand there for for 30 minutes, you know, just take it casually with a light weight and see how it goes. And But remember, then you might sort of think, hey, let's see what I can do with more kilos and go faster and stuff. And this is where the problem can happen. So remember that even though if you try and the first time you think, well, this is what's really cool, I can get into it. Remember to build up slowly to it. You know, it's just like like running marathons. Some people just, you know, there's a lady in Denmark, she ran marathon every day for a year, for a whole year. Now, she already had good base behind her. You know, she, it wasn't like, oh, today I'm going to run a marathon and I'm going to do the same for every day. Um, no, she already had solid preparation base and she didn't run every marathon every day like she was trying to beat her time. You know, you understand the concept. As long as you, 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 you train sub-maxily, uh, you, you can actually uh, recover from that relatively uh, rapidly but if you set a PR it's probably going to take you like a week to 10 days to be ready to train again after that and that's regardless of, of what you do the traditional sport you do a marathon or a half marathon yeah when you when you're constantly pushing the boundaries of your athletic yep. capacity you're going to require uh, you know compensatory recovery periods a, tr- a true PR attempt you, know, you should you should save it for the competition because then you, you, you know that after the competition you're going to take it easy for a while you know so your body's going to recover so while in training or, you know well that's that's my advice that maybe it's more applicable to uh, to veterans you know because the, the young guys you know if you don't have a uh, job family or whatever if you're studying you know it's it's different uh, you recover a lot faster um, but you know stick to sub maximal uh, even if you're doing a PA attempt uh, Terry, do, does Team Denmark train together, you know, on a regular basis or, or even semi-regularly? No, hardly, because we are, you know, all the people on the, uh, on the national team, uh, they, we're sort of like, like I said, we've got six clubs and we're all spread around Denmark. So we do meet up for some comps um, uh, every now and then, some small events, but we, um, people train in their clubs and, and that's it, you know, and a lot of um, uh, local clubs, then there might be like, we got a club uh, on the uh, on the side uh, close to Copenhagen where they have a good group of people, it's, it's the largest club in Denmark. So some of these people, you know, they're really motivated and they train the whole time together and a lot of them have reached a high level, so they, they, they go to the, the international competitions. But I can say that training together, it would be nice, but it doesn't happen. And are these athletes overseeing their own training leading up to competition, or is there some sort of coordination that starts to happen a few weeks out? Oh, every, everybody follows their own, uh, you know, their own uh, training uh, structure. Um, I trained some, some uh, last year, for example, for Hamburg, that had uh, three... Three athletes that I, that I coach online uh, that went to Hamburg. So yeah, I do structure the programs, but I can't speak for the other guys. I don't really know what they're doing. Now, I I I know that you can't speak for all the other nations, but a nation like like Russia, do you think that the case with Denmark would be the same in Russia, or is or or is it much more competitive to the point that? Um, you know, no one's overseeing their own training. They definitely have to follow 
you know, someone's specific uh, training module? Ooh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand the question fully. Um, so a team like Team Russia, are they yep. going to – do you think that they're going to have, you know, someone who's uh, coordinating all of their training and not just leaving it up to them? Yeah. Just I due mean, to the competitiveness in that nation. I, I, I do not know. I mean, you know, like I know that some people in the, from, from what I can see for the first, there's, there are many athletes. So uh, they have different coaches, and I, I'm not sure if the coaches are working together, you know, coordinating. As I'm, I'm not sure they're thinking as a team. That's interesting. You know, again, I'm not 100% sure that there might be some people that might answer that, but um, I don't know. And I would not think so. I would not think so they're they competing as a team. I think it's, it's still, even though you're on the team and together, um, you know, uh, you... <laughs> There's still a lot of in battles uh, on, on the Russian teams, I, I, I would think, because they have athletes, uh, you know, different uh, same. Well, they've got different athletes uh, for for all the lifts uh, and stuff like that. And uh, to get to the national level, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a battle as well to be to be the best. Yeah, I think you know that probably goes a long way for um, helping to keep everyone within that team kind of pushing forward and moving forward is is you know sticking to their own individual training and and being still very competitive with each other uh, in spite of the fact that they're all on the same team because at the end of the day that's really if you're on a competitive team that's really the goal to be as competitive as possible and to really push your training Mm, yep so um so you recently released a uh, blog post entitled Tips for Your First Kettlebell Competition, and this couldn't have come at a more opportune time for uh, lifters such as myself who have uh, nationals coming up in July and, uh, and uh, you know, Dublin will, f- will follow shortly after that. Um, so I- I'd like to ask you to, you know, maybe, uh, well, even for those who haven't read it yet, just to... Uh, you know, we'll go through some of the points and maybe expand on those a little bit. You've talked about, um, you know, the last the last few weeks before a kettlebell competition, you want to try and lead towards a peak. Um, yep. You even specify that sets should be a little bit shorter, your pace maybe a little bit faster, and rest intervals should be longer than usual. Can you explain why these points are important? Yeah, well, basically, you know, two weeks before a competition, anything that you do, is like all the all the hard training that you do is not going to affect your, your results. I mean, if you're not there, if you're not ready to uh, you know to get the results that you that you hope to 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 attain, no amount of hard training those last two weeks is going to help. Okay, so that's the first thing. So by then you should already be confident that you can that you can hit the numbers that you want or that you can last the time that you plan to last, like hopefully the ten minutes. Okay. So this, this aspect of training is already should be in the bag. You shouldn't have to think, oh, I still need to, to hit those 10-minute sets. So, you know, that, so there you, you want to work at a faster tempo, work more on interval kind of training, but you want to make sure that the rest intervals are in the positive so that you can recover from them faster. So you have more uh, focus on speed, if you understand what I mean. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And this is where it's, it's important. Now, those last two weeks, this is, you, you've been pushing yourself, so you need to uh, take it easy to allow the body to, uh, to, uh, to recover because otherwise you're going to be too tired by the time you go to the competition. Yeah? So don't try to do the long sets. Don't try to do 10-minute sets anymore. They should be in the bag already. So now you concentrate on maybe on five to seven minutes uh, sets, and that, that's about it. And you want to you want to go faster because you still want to keep up the intensity, but the overall volume should be less than you've been doing. Yeah, I can't, I can't give exact numbers, but the concept is that that you want to do shorter sets, faster pace. Overall, the volume is going to be reduced, and you're going to reduce it towards the last week to about sixty percent. And you want to make sure you get good restitution between the sets and between the exercise that you do also with the, uh, with the uh, extra assistance. And the extra assistance should be kept really to a minimum. But you don't want to rush from one exercise to the next. You're not, 
you're not going to get any more adaptations in those last two weeks. I mean, it's just it's just crazy to think that that you can do that, uh, because otherwise you you'd just be too tired. And definitely the the last week leading to the to the competition, then it's just like a really reduced uh, volume, um, lots of recovery, and, and that's it. You know, you should take two fully two days off before your competition. I mean, there are different ways to. Uh, to approach it, but this this has been working for me and it's been working for athletes, um, so I can really recommend it. You know, of course, you, you can do any kind of moderate activity on the side, and you should, you know, you should go for a walk. Uh, you should keep moving, doing some mobility stuff, foam rolling, stretching, all this kind of stuff. You know, but um, don't push it hard. Yeah, uh, you know, taking those those last couple of days off right before competition also harks back to um, more uh, established periodization models that that talk about you know the super compensation period and and you know pushing your training up into a point that you're you know a few weeks out and then taking that last week off so that you overshoot like a you know almost yep. like a slingshot um, and super compensate into you know another. Uh, to the next plateau of your performance potential. Yep. So, yeah, that's, I, I, I think there's definitely, um, you know, credibility to that. And uh, on the point of moving a little bit faster, making that transition from, you know, kind of increasing that pace a little bit, I try to remind people, you know, even in a marathon, um, assuming that everyone has, you know, the, the endurance portion in the bag, like you said, you should be able to last that that you know that te- in kettlebells that ten minute set. Assuming that everybody in the marathon has the endurance to last that you know however many kilometers uh, that the marathon uh, runs was it forty two? Yeah, something like that. Um, the person who wins the marathon is ultimately going to be the faster runner at the yeah. end of the day. Assuming yeah. that everyone has the aerobic capacity and the endurance to last that full you know, 42 kilometers. So the same thing kind of applies to kettlebells. You know, you want to have that 10 minutes in the bag, but, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about, you know, making the podium and, and getting that, you know, that gold medal, if that's your goal, then you need to be the faster lifter. You need to be getting those reps in. Yeah. And I will give you like a little tip, you know, when you're doing your training sets, the last minute of the last set then you want to go as fast as you can, you know. So you're sort of like getting in the in, in the mode of uh, finishing strong. And you can do that on your so. So you got like a minute, you know, or even thirty seconds, but a minute if if possible. That last set of the day, you know, before you go into your assistance exercise and, and, and stuff like that, you want to increase the pace. That's uh, that's another point that I, I wanted to get uh, you to elaborate on. Is that is the topic of starting and finishing your set? How do you do that? Do you cruise or do you sprint? Um, what are the consequences of sprinting at the beginning? <laughs> bad, very bad. <laughs> you have? Do you have some experience with this, Terry? No, I've been smart. You've been smart. <laughs> I wish I could say the same. <laughs> No, I mean, I did have the experience, uh, not in competition, but in training. Yeah, right uh, from, from early on when I started, you know, back in uh, 2008, uh, when I started to, to train uh, consistently with kettlebells, um, it was just a bad idea because, you know, within three minutes, you're going you're gonna to crash and burn. Yeah, you're going to... It's, it's it, um, you know, essentially the same principle as interval training. You know, you're doing only so much that you can still... Uh, you know, recover and, and keep it perpetual. But if you burn out your, if you create such a large energy debt that you can't recover and you yep. can't make that full, you know, 10-minute block, uh, then you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And for those going to their, to their first competition, you know, even, I mean, now, like, every time I, I go to a try to, to lift, you know, and I really think, oh, now I'm going to fill my set so I can analyze it, I, I get the jitters. And um, so it's going to happen to you, uh, the first competitions, and probably every time you go to a competition, you know, um, you're going to get, you know, flowing with, with adrenaline. Uh, and uh, you really have to make a special effort on that first minute, the first 30 to 45 seconds to smile, 
breathe and keep the tempo down. Okay, because your initial, your initial, the shock that you're going to get is just, oh, come on, come on, start lifting, and you, you just gonna <laughs> go too fast. That's, uh, yeah. To recover. So really that first minute, the training pace you've been working on, stick to it or even go a bit slower, like one rep below your, 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 your plan, you know, your, your, your RPMs, and just like wait because within 30 to 45 seconds, it's going to melt. You're going to sort of like relax into it. You know, the breathing is going to be easier and you're going to think, okay, I can do this, you know. Because, I mean, like I, I did a half marathon uh, about two, three weeks ago and I haven't competed in a long time. And I had that feeling as well, you know, just doing the warm-up sets with 16 kilos. Oh, man, this is heavy. How am I going to lift it? <laughs> like, you feel like jelly and you're shaking all over and... And uh, you're going to experience that, you know, and you're going to want to rush from the start because also if you're not used to it, you know, you've got people on either side of you and they're going to lift at a different tempo. But you don't, know, you don't know what they can do. You don't know their, you know, so it doesn't matter. Don't try to follow them. Shut out because if you try to stick to a pace of the other guy, you're going you're gonna to run up steam, you know. And I can give an example like... Uh, in 2009, I went to, um, to Zagreb to compete in a long cycle competition, the first time I did long cycle. And um, I injured my back just shortly before going to competition. So it wasn't that bad, you know, it wasn't acute, but it wasn't comfortable. So I, I told myself I'm only going to lift five minutes instead of ten minutes. Because I bought the tickets, you know, I paid for the hotel and everything, so I didn't, I didn't want to go there and not, not experience that, that competition. But I said to myself, okay, I'm going to do five minutes because five minutes is not going to be so bad for my back. You know, ten minutes when you slow down, when you lift at a slow pace, then you've got all that static hold. So I did, um, I shoot off at uh, 10 RPM per minute. I did 50 reps. In, in five minutes with a two time 20, okay? Mm-hmm. And the poor guy next to me was trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know I was going to live for five minutes, you know? And uh, <laughs> at the end, you know, like uh, after he finished his set, you know, like his strength, I said, like, slow down, slow down, you know, uh, to, to maintain control because uh, he could see that. It wasn't. If you tried to keep up with me, then it was gonna, it was gonna pass out, you know. Um, and at the end, oh, you bastard, you know. Uh, I said, well, you know, <laughs> I didn't, no, I didn't realize until uh, until last minute I was only five minutes. So yeah, I rushed. He said, yeah, I tried to follow you. It was bloody hard. So keep that in mind. You don't know what the guy next to you is gonna do. Um, so don't try to keep up with him. Yeah. Just focus just on what you know you can achieve. And if you've been consistent with your training and you've been good and you allow recovery, at the minimum, you should do the same numbers you've done in, in training. Yeah? And on a good day, you're going to set a PR. That's my philosophy as well. If anyone's ever done a jerk relay, then they, then they kind of know that experience because you're definitely – in a jerk relay, you know, you'll do t- two minutes to three minutes depending on um, what, what competition you're at. And uh, and you're trying to get in as many reps as you can at a, at a pace that you would never do in a 10 minute uh, yeah. cycle, and uh, and yeah, it's it's hard just to stand up straight when you're nearing <laughs> the end of that set. I, I remember my last one; my legs were shaking, totally shaking. <laughs> um, so yeah, that 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 you know is uh, an important point. Don't don't sprint at the start of your set. Cruise, yeah. uh, and that's something I I notice with my client uh, with my. Uh, my clients and my students, and, and, and I try to tell them, you know, when, when you get up there, chances are you're probably going to start really fast. So I, what, what I want you to do is, you know, on your first rep, just take a couple extra breaths, yep. you know, kind of find yourself, do another rep, take another, you know, couple extra breaths than you normally would. And, you know, try and find that, that groove and, you know, bring that heart rate back down and, and get into that zone. Exactly, and this is where the breathing is so important, you know. Um, even with, uh, with, with that, that much training, you know, because I've, I've been pressing fucking around since uh, the end of January, 
um, I could still do a decent result in the half marathon, you know, because of technique, but most importantly because of the the, the breathing. You know, the breathing is just key to this sport. You know, to be able to relax and relax fully across, you know, from your chest to your arms to your legs, the breathing is so important. So if you're not so sure about the breathing, review it, talk to your coach or go to the blog. You know, on my blog, I've got like uh, the, the basic breathing patterns. Then they are, it's a good starting point. And it has, um, you know, implications in all in basically all sports. There, there's always some kind of breathing criteria that needs to be met to ensure that you know you're you're maximizing your performance. Exactly. As opposed to hindering it. Um, so uh, we're kind of nearing the end of the interview here. Don't want to keep you too much longer. But um, also on the topic of uh, kettlebell competitions, um, in your blog you also talked a little bit about. Um, you know, little tips, things like, you know, wearing a belt, traveling abroad, food, warm-up routine. Um, yeah. could, could you maybe elaborate on a few of those things? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, so when you, uh, if you've never been to a competition, you know, for the first, take food with you because you don't know what you're going to find there, you know. I know personally every time I've been to, uh, to, uh, to the World Championships, I said to myself, I'm going to find a place so I can buy some fruit or whatever, you know, so I have a little stash. I never find the bloody supermarket. (laughs) Sometimes you're in the middle of just like the industrial zone. Yeah. And then, you know, what do they serve there? Fast food, sandwiches, you know, ham and cheese. You know, it's just like, okay, this is not what I need to to, to put up a, a good performance. So take food with you or make sure, you know, you're... When you uh, land at the place where you're going to be, you know, at the hotel, the first thing you do is to go and find some food that you can stock up, buy some fruits, some some bars or whatever, um, and have it with you. And I've been in uh, when I went to London for the British Open. That was pure luxury because the the gym was set up directly above a Marks and Spencers, so we could just go down to the basement and they had all this uh, really good food, you know. Uh, that you could get, but that was the only time. So um, take food because you don't know how the flights are going to be and uh, you might get up, for example, early in the morning and go with the, with the group there and you're going to be lifting at the end of the afternoon. Um, so, yeah, have food, be prepared. can be a lot of time before, before, you, uh, before you lift and, again, if you're doing biathlon, it can be a few hours before you do your snatch. Um, so that's that's it uh, about the about the the belt. If you haven't used it in training, don't use it on the day. I mean that's that's pretty much it. You know, and that probably goes for just about anything else that. Uh, yeah, you know, and if you, if you haven't done it in training or you don't do it on a regular basis, and and that applies to the food as well, right? If you're stuck in that yep. situation where it's like you have to eat something that you never normally eat, like fast food yep. or something. Yeah. Um, then yeah, it's it's going to mess with your head and it may might affect uh, might affect your GI and and that's not going to bode well. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the, stay away from the risk stuff, you know. Uh, stay away from too spicy food and and stuff like fish. You know, just just go for plain food that is not going to upset your stomach. Any uh, tips for uh, traveling abroad or maybe I'm not sure if this applies to you much, but um, you know, air travel. Yeah. Well, air travel, you know, luggage tends to go amiss. So all the stuff that's very important, you know, it's just like your life-saving medicine. You keep it with you. So your belt, your shoes, you know, whatever you're going to use uh, on the day, on the platform, take it with you. That's that's the best advice that uh, I can give you because stuff goes away and then, uh, then you're stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry... Do you chalk or or do you not chalk in competition? Uh, yeah, I chalk. Not not overly. Um, you know, when I train, I never chalk the bell. I just chalk on my hand, and and that's it. Then again, it's going to depend on how much you sweat. You know, um, but for uh, definitely for long sets, uh, especially for snatch, uh, it's a good idea to chalk the bell. So learn to also chalk your uh, chalk the handle. Um, because the one hand switch, it's it's 
yeah, it's a good edge that chalk, you know. I don't know that many people. Uh, I can think of uh, Fedor Fuglev, for example, that can just pick up a brand new kettlebell, no chalk whatsoever, and do 200 reps with 30 kilos. Uh, we're doing 180 reps on one arm. You know, I've seen that uh, in 2009 in Ventspils. Um, a lot of the American athletes that were there were complaining about the kettlebells because they were brand new. Uh, they were used to lifting uh, with 33 millimeters, and uh, the international standard is actually 35 millimeters. So that was already something else. The handles were thicker, but as well, they were brand new and really shiny, really polished metal. You know, so they they were complaining about it, and uh, Fruklev just uh, snatched the 32. I mean, you know, he just picked it up, no chalk whatsoever. And he, he did 180 reps on the on the on one arm and 20 reps on the other one. I think that comes back around to the point you made about you know you should already have it in the bag. Small, <laughs> you know, small as as you know as as problematic as as they may be, and and as um, uh, you know, cumulative the effects of you know things like a different handle diameter and you know not having access to the right food. As cumulative as those effects might be, you should you know your training should should have led you up to this point where you can see that okay, it's a different diameter ham- handle or you know it's 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 brand new. It's a it's a it's a factor, but it's not a problem. Yeah, and I will say, you know, in, in international competitions, uh, you'll you might be lifting with different. I mean, with different kettlebells. You know, you, you, they'll be different from what you used. Uh, sometimes, depending where the competition is, the two kettlebells might not even be the same. Um, so there are people that get problems with uh, insertion because the window, that little window, you know, might be different. Sometimes it's a bit short and it's a bit higher, uh, and it causes problems for people. But you got to remember that it causes problems for everybody, not just for you. Um, so you know everybody is in the same uh, playing field. Um, so there's no really excuse to 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 whinge about it. Just uh, you know suck it up. Yeah, no, that's that's a good philosophy. That's a good point. Um, my kettlebells, uh, I, I the ones that I use in training, the ones that I have at home. Um, I have been to competitions where they've had even smaller diameter handles. And then I've been to competitions where they've had slightly larger diameter handles. And what I will say is that if, if I can't use what I'm used to, I prefer the larger handle, to be honest. But that's, yeah. that's just me. Yep. Yeah, me too. I like the, those 35. It's, it just feels nicer in the hand. Yeah. Um, you know what, Terry? Thank you so much for, uh, for uh, joining us on the show um, well, thanks, we've thanks. come to the end of the interview. It's it's uh, it's been very uh, illuminating and educational, for sure, and on the, for me as well. <laughs> that fir- first blog, uh, what you call it, podcast or whatever. It's yeah, it's been good, good experience. Uh, thank you for that. Well, I'm hope you enjoyed it, um, Terry. Where can people find you? Uh, you know, through social media and online. Well, online you can find me on my website, so uh, www. And uh, this social media, I'm only on Facebook. And uh, so if you just look up my name, look it up, and uh, that's it. Or you can go also uh, join our group on uh, Kelbel Sport Denmark. And you can also join for the, uh, those people that are interested in the uh, Kelbel Marathons, join the group called IKM, uh, IKMF, so International Kelbel Marathon Federation. Uh, or look up Ultimate Gearvik Cup. There are good standing points there. Um, so um, I hope that's you know some of the listeners uh, got some good tips and motivation to maybe try the the non-traditional kettlebell sport as well. And if you lifters out there are looking for more information, you know shoot on over to uh, Terry's website. He's got lots of blog posts on there. Um, Terry, are you still uh, offering a subscription to uh, your blog where they can receive it via email? No, and I have to sort of look it up again. Uh, I sort of removed that, put a sharing media, but I might go back to that to the subscription. Might be a good idea. But I update the blog. I mean, if you go there once a month, there there'll be a new post, basically. Um, you know, if you if you're on Facebook, I, I try to post them in a few different groups and under my profile. Um, but yeah, check out check it out. That's all I can say. <laughs> there is good info out there, and if you you know, I've got a uh, three ebooks that are, 
there are good resources. They are they're free. Men, that 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 uh, PDF you talked about, the uh, kettlebell sport and uh, athlete preparation. This it's all material, you know, but uh, it's still relevant today. Lots oh, of good. Oh yeah, there. especially I think for people just getting into it, especially from uh, people outside of Europe who have no concept of what kettlebells are, where they're from, or any of that stuff. Because you do offer a a nice large section on the history of kettlebells, which is is very educational. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, so um, again, Terry, thank you. And um, yeah, this was fun. Well, that was great. Thank you. And uh, so it's early in your place, right? This is actually the, the third 6 a.m. <laughs> interview I've done. Okay. Sometimes, so don't, you know, don't feel bad for me. Usually it seems to just work out this way, where 6 a.m. for me works out best for everyone else. <laughs> So, you know, but uh, I'm I'm more than willing to do it again because this is something I enjoy and I really enjoyed having you on the show. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much. I won't keep you any longer. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Well, same to you, mate. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll touch base soon. For sure. All right, mate. Thanks again for that opportunity. And uh, you have a great day. Thanks, Terry. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye-bye.